there if we could. Okay, we're in uh, Mark chapter 5. If you'd like to turn there, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll read a passage. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. A couple fascinating stories intertwined together. Let's just start off, we'll read it together, and then we'll, we'll charge in. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who, who had done it? But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. And he had entered, he, and when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Our study through the Gospel of Mark, I preface each time, each lesson, each section with this idea that it's all about you and I 
reading this, learning from this, to, in order to know Jesus, to know him for, truly, for who he truly is, and to follow him. In other words, looking to Jesus, knowing Jesus, and becoming his disciple, knowing his true identity, knowing his true character, knowing his purpose, and knowing his power, and knowing this, seeing this, understanding this, does a work in us, and from that we become his disciples. We follow him. We live our lives by the words that he spoke. To believe in Jesus in a way that causes us to follow him is what we call living by faith. We become convinced of who he is, and as a result, we yield ourselves. He's so impressive. He's so powerful. He's so good. He's so the Lord. We're compelled in our hearts to follow him and yield ourselves to his will. But life brings us into desperate times, often. Sometimes we face desperate situations, desperate times. And in those desperate times, they can often be very discouraging and sometimes very disillusioning. But those times that are desperate, those situations that you and I face where we're facing something that is beyond ourselves and we feel within ourselves so terribly desperate. These are unique times for Jesus to reveal himself to us for who he actually is. This account in Mark chapter 5 shows us that when we, you and I, reach out to Jesus in desperate times, that Jesus gives attention to the desperate people and responds with great wisdom and with great power. We read an account of two very desperate people who came to Jesus. Each one of them faced a serious, very discouraging, very disillusioning situation. Each one of them experienced a hard delay. One was measured in years and one was measured in minutes, but the delay for both was very, very difficult, very disillusioning. But they came to Jesus with their desperation, and each one of them left an encounter with Jesus getting more than what they came for. Some of us are currently facing some very desperate situations. If you're not, you will. Just stand in line. If it's not today, it may be tomorrow. All of us find ourselves facing desperate situation, and this is a message for desperate people. For desperate people to look to Jesus for help, and for when you look to Jesus for help, to assure you that Jesus will take time for you, and he'll respond to you with unusual wisdom and unusual power in order for you to finish with more than what you came for. The wisdom and the power of Jesus takes desperate people like you and me, and we come with a need. And when we come with faith to Jesus, we end up leaving with more than what we came for because he's that wise, because he's that powerful. Two points this morning, two desperate people and true power and wisdom. 
So let's go back through the stories, break it out a little bit, and grasp and get ourselves sort of emotionally in what's going on here so that we can feel and experience and then realize the greatness of Christ in this. First, we have Jairus and his dying daughter. His daughter is about to die. She's on her deathbed. The daughter was, as it says, at the point of death. Her need was acute. Time was of the essence. Timing was crucial. Every minute counted. It was a true emergency. A delay could prove to be fatal. The focus in the story is the desperation of the father. Now, obviously, there's this 12-year-old girl lying on her deathbed. Her situation was obviously very desperate, and yet Mark tells the story through the lens of the father. So even though it's the daughter that's dying, you, you, you can't help but feel the desperation of the father. If you're a parent, you, you know this. You know how, how hard it is when, you're, when your child is in trouble or one of your children is sick. Even just sitting in the living room and having a, a sick child with a, with a croupy cough in their bedroom, just sitting, listening to them cough, tears your heart apart. And as a father in particular, you, you feel a sense of responsibility. I need to do something. I need to find a solution. I need to help. I need to, I need to change. And so Mark uses this and draws our attention, not to the daughter so much, but to the father. Because how easy it is to relate to the pain and the pressure and the desperation that this man felt. And to see, okay, not just a sick daughter, now a dying daughter on her deathbed. It's just a matter of time. Exhausted all options. We know of no solution to this problem, and yet he hears about Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus with all his desperation. This was a leader in the synagogue. This was a man of stature in society, well-respected, dignified, but is, he's so desperate. There's no hiding his desperation. This respectable man comes to Jesus and plops himself down on the ground at Jesus' feet. No social decorum here. This man is desperate. This is his only hope, and he makes no shame of it. He falls down on his face at Jesus' feet and pleads and begins to beg. When you see a grown man on his face begging and pleading, you see true desperation. And there was this man at Jesus' feet pleading, imploring, Jesus, please, you've got to understand, it's my little girl and she's dying and I have nowhere else to go. I have no one else to turn to Please, would you come? And he went with him. That's all Mark says. Don't know what he said. Don't know if Jesus said anything. He went with him. In other words, yes. The answer was yes. Jesus said, I will take time. I'll go with you. Whether it was just Mark just records his action. Maybe he didn't say anything. But Jairus knew there's hope. Jesus is saying yes. He's coming. He's coming. We're, we're on our way to my house. There's hope. Second, we have the sick woman with her own version of desperation here. Her suffering had been a chronic problem 
12 years she had been hemorrhaging. It was a somewhat embarrassing problem to have, not dinner table conversation. She would prefer nobody would know about what she was suffering, and yet, seemingly, people did cause her to be ceremonially unclean. This was a never, seemingly never-ending trial that she lived with. Not a day went by, not an hour went by that she was unaware or could forget about her condition, her disease. She had to face it constantly for 12 years. Many of you have had long-term trials, and you know the trial is one thing. The length is altogether something else. The length becomes a trial in and of itself. It's not just the suffering. It's not just the pain. It's not just the difficulty of the disease or the trial. It's that it's taking so long. It's that it doesn't seem to go away. And year after year, losing hope, the doctors were unable to help her, although they tried and they were glad to take her money for trying. To be honest with you, I did not even want to look up what the potential medical procedures may or may not have been at that time. I knew it would just be like, I didn't even want to think about it. I can't imagine. I'm so grateful for how the medical industry has progressed over the centuries and over the years. We can only imagine what these doctors tried to do to this woman. What we know is to no avail. Lots of bills, no cure, no help. In fact, the result is she ended up destitute, penniless, and her condition only got worse. But she heard reports about Jesus, and so she went. She went to go see Jesus. She had no alternative, alternate left, and she felt, yet she felt convinced in her heart, if I could just touch his clothes. Somehow there was faith in her heart. Somehow she heard about Jesus. Everything else has failed, but if I could just get to Jesus and even just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. In both situations, Jesus begins drawing attention to faith. Faith is crucial. Faith is important. Faith becomes part of what Mark is wanting to develop in you and in me and all the readers of the gospel according to Mark. And here Jesus draws attention. When it comes to knowing Jesus, when it comes to following Jesus, faith is a key. With Jairus, when the report comes that she has died, do not fear, only believe. When the woman is healed, Jesus, your faith has made you well. This is interesting that the essence of faith here, whether great or small, is that faith is taking your desperation and going to Jesus. We're sometimes very quick to talk about, oh, you don't have enough faith. You're not believing hard enough or you're not believing well enough or strong enough. When you go out into the into the outside the church world apart from God. What's your problem? You don't believe in yourself enough. You don't have enough faith in yourself. It's a common 
concept. And yet Jesus talks about faith, even the size of a mustard seed. And what Jesus is saying is, you know, well, yes, there is great faith, but, but here's the key to faith. Genuine faith, even small faith, even a, a minuscule amount of faith, it, it is its object that gives it its power and its strength. So just a little bit of faith toward Jesus is all it takes. She trusted Jesus, even if it was just a little bit. The key was that you take whatever faith, whatever level, whatever degree, and you direct it to him. That's what he's responding to. Faith is qualified by its object. And when Christ is the object of faith, that's when great things happen. So we have these two desperate people. And they come in contact with Jesus. And now we look at Jesus and we begin to see true power and true wisdom. True power and wisdom for the woman. She sneaks up behind him, touches his clothes, and he stops. And he turns around and he says, who touched my clothes? Now we're getting a description here from Mark and it says there's a, there's a massive crowd and they are thronging him. In other words, there's no social distancing going on here. Everybody's rubbing shoulders with Jesus. It's a, it's a crowd. It's packed. It's, it's shoulder to shoulder, bumping, pushing, moving. So the disciples are saying, what, what in the world are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's touching everybody. How can you say, who just touched me? But with this particular woman, there was another kind of transaction that took place. And Jesus knew it. Now remember, Jesus is responding to an emergency. So this would be like being in the ambulance, going to the crisis, and telling the ambulance driver, okay, just pull over for a minute because there's a, there's a homeless person on the side here that I'd like to stop and I'd like to talk to for a little while. So we'll just hold off on the emergency while I take a few minutes and talk with this person. Now, you can only imagine what, what may have been going through the heart and mind of Jairus at this point. Because anybody with any common sense knows that this is like the dumbest thing in the world to do. In fact, if you're anywhere close to the medical industry, you know this one will get you sued. If you don't know how to prioritize an emergency over a chronic situation, and you start giving your attention to something that could wait an hour, could wait a day, could wait a week, and would make virtually no difference, and you let the person with the emergency die on the table because you weren't quick enough. It's malpractice. And yet Jesus, in his wisdom, stops the ambulance, stops the crowd. I need to have a conversation. Put Jairus and his daughter on hold, a delay, so he can talk to this woman. Even though the woman got what she came for, Jesus had more for her than that. Jesus came to make a disciple out of her. Jesus healed people and used healing to make disciples. He didn't come just to heal. He didn't come to heal this woman and say, forget about her. 
Now, this woman is the one whose her plan is everything's going to be covert. I'm going to come and go. I'm going to sneak in, going to get my healing, and I'm going to sneak out. And nobody will know, be the wiser. Nobody will know I was there. I just need to get what I need and get out. And Jesus says, woman, you need something more than that. Stop the train. Who touched me? You can almost feel the tension. What was going on inside her? Oh, no. He's calling me out. He knows. I was hoping I could just get it and get out. And he stops and he says, no. He wants to have a conversation with this woman. He wants to draw attention to her. He wants to bless her. He wants some face-to-face time with this woman because she needs more than just a healing from her disease. She needs to be made a disciple, made a follower of Jesus. And so he gets her face to face and he pronounces this blessing. Oh, daughter, your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and the blessing of God be upon you. Pronounces this blessing over her and be freed from your disease. She came for one thing. She went home with much more. She had a face-to-face with Jesus. She had an encounter with Jesus that she'll never forget. Her life was changed. Jesus pronounced a blessing. Jesus is not, did not just come to heal. He came to build a family, build a household, gather people into his household to, to live with him forever. His plans are much bigger than your problems and my problems. He's not unconcerned about our problems, but he's thinking far beyond that. Oh, yes, I want to heal you. Yes, I want to touch you. I also want to make you a son, make you a daughter. I want to adopt you. I want to see you in my household. True power, true wisdom. And Jairus, true wisdom and power. Here, Jesus paused the situation puts Jairus on hold at a crucial time when every moment counted. And sure enough, the situation did in fact get worse. So while Jesus stopped the ambulance, talking with the woman, here comes the report. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? The delay proved to be fatal. The report came that says Jesus overheard it. Another translation says Jesus ignored it. So there's a little bit of debate. The word could mean either. The truth is both of them worked just fine and both of them took place. He knew what was going on. It didn't faze him. We're still on track, Jairus. Still according to plan. Doesn't change anything. Of course, could we even imagine how Jairus must have felt at that moment? Everything must have changed for him, or so he must have felt. This is really kind of a climax in a series of events that we've been studying as it's been laying out the authority and the power of Jesus. And so over the past 
few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' power over nature, over the storms as he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and then the, the power of Jesus over legions of demons, where the demoniac was delivered of a legion of demons, showing us just how powerful Jesus is. We have him curing people of incurable diseases, and now we're looking at even death even death. He has that much power that death is nothing to him. To, to Jairus, his daughter was life and death. To Jesus, sickness, death, really no difference. I have that much power, so it's really not that different whether she's sick or whether she's dead. So Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And Jesus gets into the situation and he begins to talk as if this girl is just asleep. And some would argue, you know, should we take those words literally, what was going on here? It seems best and truest to Scripture to realize that Jesus is just using a manner of speaking here to make a point. He talks, it's true, she was dead. The other gospel writers and confirm this. The girl actually died, but Jesus comes in saying, what's all the commotion? All the mourners were there. They used to have professional mourners come in when somebody would die and there would be wailing and commotion all going on. And Jesus comes in and says, what's all the commotion? She's not dead. She's just asleep. And of course, they laughed at him because they knew better. But there's times when Jesus with good reason, talks about a dead person as merely being asleep. Both times he did this, it's because he's about to raise them from the dead. And that's what he's doing here. So he takes this girl by the hand because there's often a touch with Jesus. There's often a physical connection and he takes this little girl by the hand and says, Talitha Kumai, little girl, sweetheart, sweetheart, get up. And the whole scene plays out. Now, a girl has died, and immediately she gets up and starts walking around. And Jesus plays this scene out just as, that, just as if he's a father coming to his little daughter in the morning saying, sweetheart, it's time to get up. Like she just had a good night's sleep. All to show you and me and them and the disciples, Jesus has that much power, even power over death. To him, it's like waking up your little daughter after a good night's sleep. Sweetheart, it's just time to get up. Rise and shine. Let's start our day. Jairus came to Jesus asking, please touch my daughter and heal her of this disease. In the wisdom of Jesus, Jairus ended up with so much more. So much more glory to Jesus. Knows something about Jesus that was probably beyond his imagination at the time. Jesus revealed his wisdom and his power. Jairus, at the very least, struggling in his soul. Jesus 
Couldn't you have walked a little bit faster? Couldn't you have come back to that woman another time? She'd been sick for 12 years. I'm sure another hour or two wouldn't make a difference. And yet you waited. You took too long, and she died. And now there she is, eating, eating her breakfast, walking around, alive and well and healed. He got far more than he bargained for. That's it. It's that simple. Here's the conclusion. When we see the wisdom of Jesus, and we're given stories to see the wisdom of Jesus because when it's your story, it's hard to see the wisdom of Jesus. When it's your delay, when it's your suffering, when it's your 12 years or 12 minutes, it's hard to see and know the wisdom of Jesus. And yet here, Mark is saying, you got to know this about Jesus. You just have to know when the times are desperate, you've got to know something about who Jesus is. He's that wise. And when we know that he's that wise, we can trust him for the timing. Depending on how many minutes you've been a Christian, you've realized that God's timing and your timing are not the same thing. It's only a matter of time before you discover this. It is so true. God never seems to operate on my agenda and on my calendar and on my time frame. And there's really only one way to deal with that and cope with that well, and that's to know he's, he's so much wiser than I am. Because I would have thought healing the sick is easier than raising the dead probably would have thought healing the sick is a possibility, but raising the dead is not. But Jesus knew something that Jairus didn't know. Jesus was wiser. And when we see that and we recognize that about him, it inclines our hearts to trust. When the disease hangs on and it's suffering for many years, and the trial is long and the trial is hard, it's hard to see the wisdom of Jesus in this. You just think, why doesn't he just fix this? It's hard not to admit, to look ourselves in the mirror and, and realize the truth of the matter is, I just don't see everything that he sees. I just don't know everything that he knows. There's a lot going on here that I don't see. There's some things I see all too well. There's some things I feel all too well. Nevertheless, Jesus sees more, knows more because he's wiser. And when we know that, we can trust him for the timing in our lives. And when we see the power of Jesus, we can trust him that he's going to do even more than we think or ask. He truly does know what you need. He genuinely does. But I promise you, he's got more in mind than the need that you and I have in our mind. I promise you he's thinking about something bigger and better than the very thing that's on your mind right now that you're saying, I really desperately need this from God. I promise you he's, he's thinking bigger than you are. He's thinking bigger than I am. He's got more good in store. But it all begins 
If I had the worship team come on up here, it all begins when we realize that Jesus says yes to desperate people. It all starts with a woman hearing things about Jesus and saying, now I know if I go, if I can just touch. It all begins with Jairus coming to Jesus and falling at his feet in desperation with the reality that Jesus is his only hope. When you ask him to come, would you come with me and would you help me? The answer is in this chapter, and he went Jesus, would you come and help me? Answer, he's walking with you, already on his way, already heading that direction, already with you. When you try and reach out and touch him, he'll pass by you, and he'll know when that transition, transaction takes place. <laughs> he wants to be touched by you. You and I say, if only I could get a hold of his clothes. And he'll be on that path for you to touch. So my question is, are you desperate? Are you desperate? Is there something? Are you in a situation that God in his providence has put you in where you're feeling in your soul a sense of desperation because it's been so long or because it's been so hard or because it's so serious. Some of you are. All of us will be. So the simple question is, if you're desperate, will you come? Will you come to him? Will you reach out to him? Will you fall at his feet? and say, I don't know where else to go. I don't know who else to turn to. I don't think anybody else has the solution, but I've heard you can do all things. And would you fall at his feet and say, Lord, I need you. Because when desperate people come to him, he's wise enough, he's powerful enough to do far more than you can think or ask. Some of you are legitimately, right now, circumstantially desperate. You are sick. Someone close to you that you love is very sick. For some, it's a matter of life and death. Some of you have marriages that you say, I see no hope for this thing getting any better. Some of you have loved ones close that don't know the Lord and seem to be walking away from the Lord. They have things going on in their hearts that have you feeling desperate. It's also another kind of desperation. And God was just sort of prompting this thought as we were praying before, before the meeting, which is a tricky one. But it's a hard heart towards the Lord. 
It's tricky when your heart grows cold towards the Lord. It's hard to realize what a desperate situation that actually is. But in reality, that is a seriously desperate situation. But because it's your heart, because it's cold, because it's hardened for one reason or another, you need to hear it from the outside and we need the Spirit of God to come and say your heart has become calloused, cold, hardened. Because the reality is if any one of us saw the reality of the true state of our hearts, we'd all realize kind of on our deathbed there's a reality to every one of our desperate situations and it's the very thing that Christ came for I want to pray I want to pray for those that are desperate but I also want to invite you Tammy and I were having some conversations and I spoke with Bill and just this there's a there's a sense and I, I, I'm sure it's from the Lord just calling us to pray. Calling us as a church to pray. So I don't know what all it's going to look like, but, but this week it's going to look like this. My backyard, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. If you're desperate, come and pray. We'll meet in my backyard and we'll pray. Whatever you're desperate for, whatever you're desperate about, or if you want to pray for other people that are desperate, come over my backyard Tuesday night at 7 o'clock and we'll take an hour and a bunch of desperate people will gather together and we'll seek the Lord and we'll pray. And we'll watch and see what such a wise and powerful Savior does when we reach out and say, we need Jesus, only Jesus. We've got to have him. And we implore him to come and help. Father, I pray for those that are desperate here. And I know in one level all of us find that category at some point and in different ways. But there are some, Lord, with loved ones recently diagnosed with cancer. There are souls that have drifted away from you. There are a variety of trials sitting in the room right now that cause a variety of levels and kinds of desperation. And so, Father, we just want to begin to cry out to you and say, Jesus, we need you. You invite desperate people. You're a savior for desperate people. You commend and value the faith of desperate people that take whatever level of faith and direct it towards you. And Lord, these stories are true and we believe them. And so we, we, we look to you and your word and we trust, Lord, that as we come to you, you will meet these needs. And not just meet these needs, but even go beyond and in your wisdom do far more than we would ask or think. Oh, Father, strengthen the souls that are here that are discouraged and disillusioned because of the trials, the trial that's taking too long, the trial that is too acute, and bless and encourage and strengthen. May they be refreshed 
at the idea and the reality of being able to touch you and you welcoming that touch and you reaching out and touching them and speaking a word of blessing over them. Have your way, Lord. Bless and minister to your people as we stand. Folks, let's stand and close with a song this morning.